This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. You're listening to the MLB Pipeline Podcast with your host, Ed Randall. The power potential of right-hand hitting center fielder Clint Frazier has been mentioned in the same breath with the Cubs' Kyle Schwarber. He was the fifth overall pick in the draft two years ago by Cleveland and spent this past season at High A Lynchburg, where he batted 285 with 16 homers and 72 runs batted in, a 465 slugging percentage and 377 on-base percentage. That output earned him a ticket to the Scottsdale Scorpions of the Arizona Fall League, and we're delighted that Clint Frazier joins us from there right now. Clint, it's great to have you on the uh, Pipeline podcast. Uh, if you will, take a second to characterize your season at the Lynchburg Hillcats, what you liked and uh, what you're working on. Uh, you know, there was a lot of ups and downs at first. You know, I, I really came out the gate struggling, and, you know, I really did not know what it was that, that was causing me to struggle so bad. Um, so once the All-Star break happened, I, I started watching some video of uh, – what was going on in that first half, and I started realizing that my timing was off. You know, that was the reason why I wasn't seeing pitches, why I was swinging through stuff, why I was getting jammed at the plate, why I wasn't squaring balls up. So, you know, I, I kind of reverted back to what I did in high school. I started to think, like, you know, that helped me get here. Why not try it again? Uh, I went back to the uh, toe tap that I did in high school, and, you know, I started to develop an approach at the plate. You know, I, I was very aggressive the first half, just trying to do too much, trying to hit a 500-foot home run every single time at the plate. And, you know, I had to think to myself, you know, these guys are good. They're trying to get me out. I can't go up there with an immature approach and, and just try to hit a home run every time. So I had to, you know, really dig down to the root of the problem and, you know, fix my approach my timing. Clint, it's, uh, it's Jonathan Mayo. Good to talk to you again. And uh, I remember you talking to you a couple times uh, about uh, about that sort of battle that you have to uh, sort of wage with yourself in terms of not wanting to give up that aggressiveness because that's what makes you a dangerous hitter, but also uh, refining the approach. Now, was there a time in the second half where uh, you could go up, you know, in any given at-bat and you weren't really thinking about that? Like, was it a time where it felt more like second nature? Uh, and how much has that carried over to the – early success you've had in the fall league so far yeah you know I think with the more that I struggled the first half that caused me to press at the plate and and go up there and just swing out of control just because I was frustrated and, and you know things weren't going my way and you know once I kind of started to figure it out a little bit the second half and and have some success I went up there uh, more poised at the plate with you know more of a clear mind and you know I always said that you know I don't think at the plate when I'm going good and, and when I'm struggling I'm up there thinking a lot so you know, I, I don't think I did too much thinking of the plate the second half. Clint, Jim Callis here. Uh, besides your approach, uh, what are you trying to, to work on? What are your goals in the Arizona Fall League? I saw you. Uh, I just got back from a week out there, and I, I broadcast the Monday game on MLB.com where you stole two bases, and I was also at the Saturday game where you were very aggressive on the base pass. Are, are you trying to be more aggressive with your base running, you know, kind of – I don't know if experiment is the right word, but, but test that out in the fall league. Uh, and what else are you working on out there? 
Um, you know, as far as base base running goes, uh, you know, obviously I got the um, chance to play with Bradley Zimmer this year, and I got to watch what he would do on the base pass and, and how much of a threat he was on there and, and, you know, how much guys feared him when he got on there. And, you know, I have the ability to steal bases, but I was I was very tentative on first base. I didn't want to get thrown out, um, you know, because I didn't get on base that much the first half. And, you know, I, I really want to be as much of a threat as I can on the bases. So, you know, I talked to Q, our manager out here the other day, and, you know, he said, go, steal whenever you get on. Just make sure that you, you're, uh, you know, getting good jumps and, and doing it at the right time. And, um, you know, as far as that goes, I'm, I'm trying to be as aggressive on the base pass as I can. And, you know, it's, an offensive standpoint, I'm, I'm just trying to continue to build off what I did in the second half. Uh, you know, obviously the approach is something that I'm still working on, and you know my timing is the biggest thing. Just making sure that I'm on time every single time, and uh, giving myself the best possible chance to hit the baseball. Clint, I want to I want to go back to uh, I guess it was your second game of the fall league. This when I when I was out there. Um, and uh, it's a game that you went uh, – two things that really stood out. One, uh, the homer that you hit to right center that was about 15 feet off the ground and got out in about a second and a half. But almost almost as impressively was a plate appearance where you drew a, a walk and you spoiled a couple of pitches, fouled off a couple. Uh, to me, like those two at-bats kind of showed how far you've come just from that all-star break uh, to now. I, uh, Obviously, hitting the ball out is always fun, but do you almost take more pride in, in, in working out that walk? Because to me, that's the kind of thing that maybe wouldn't have happened to you, over, you know, in the first, say, year and a half of your pro career. Yeah, you know, I, I, I really do enjoy having, you know, really good at-bats where I'm up there battling and, and, you know, end up drawing a walk just because in the past I, I can't count how many three-pitch three uh, strikeout at-bats that I had or how many pitches I was swinging at in the dirt that were nowhere close to the strike zone, you know. And I remember that specific at-bat where I was, you know, I fouled off a few curveballs, hit a few fastballs uh, foul, and, you know, I was really just up there just trying to stay alive and, and you know, give myself the best possible chance to, to hit. Um, you know, I figured the the more pitches that I make this guy throw, the the more of a chance he's going to have of making a mistake finally. And, you know, he made a mistake and, and walked me. Hey, Clint, uh you know, obviously there's a lot of good talent out there in the Arizona Fall League. A lot of teams send their, their best prospects out there. Who has stood out to you among the pitchers you guys have faced so far this year? Ooh, um, I want to say uh, I think his name is David Garner with the Cubs. Um, yeah, the relief pitcher? You know, excuse me? The relief pitcher? Yes. Um, you know, he was in high A, and he absolutely mowed some of us down whenever he faced us. And, you know, the other night when we faced him, you know, not only was he throwing, you know, mid to upper 90s, but he was throwing his curveball in any count that he wanted. Uh, I think he got behind 3-1 uh, to one on a hitter, and he was throwing 3-1 three or three one curveballs and 3-2 curveballs, and it just looked like the guy knew what he was doing. You know, he was he was throwing hard, and he could command his off to go along with it. Um, you know, another one was Jason Garcia. Um, you know, I'm actually friends with him, so it was it was fun hitting off of him, and, you know, we got to have fun by – talking a little trash before the game, and he, he's good. I mean, he throws – I think he was like 94 to 98 that day, and he had one of the biggest two-seam movements I've ever seen. Um, you know, commanded his off-speed really good. So, you know, those two have stood out the most so far. Clint, uh, last one for me, um, you know, and I love always bringing up Austin Meadows uh, when we get a chance to talk to so us. You guys are you know, so closely linked, same – 
same town, same draft class, first round picks. Uh, you know, now that you've been out in Arizona for a couple of weeks, how much fun has it been just to be in the sort of same place at the same time and uh, see how far both of you have, have come since high school? You know, it's, it's a lot of fun. I, I, I told someone the other day when I did an interview, this is the first time I've seen Austin play since we played each other in that one game in high school. Uh, you know, we haven't been in the same league. Um, so it's it's fun to see how much he's grown as a player and, I mean, how much he's just grown as a man. I mean, I saw him the other day and I said, geez, dude, you look like you're 20, 30 pounds heavier than the last time I saw you. Um, you know, obviously he's had a lot of success in the, in the minors so far and, um, you know, he deserves it. He's, he goes out there and he works hard every single day and, you know, he's a good friend of mine. So for him to go out there and be having the success that he's having right now is, is for, awesome for me to see. And, you know, I, I can't wait to see him uh, next week. I know his family's flying out, so I haven't seen them in a while. And, you know, I know we're all going to go out to Clint, uh, all of us wish you well. Uh, thank you so much for being with us, for joining us on the Pipeline Podcast, and we hope to talk to you again soon. Best wishes. All right, thank you. That's uh, Clint Frazier of the uh, Cleveland Indians. Royals and Mets in the World Series with a galaxy of stars. Jim recently wrote about those players as prospects, 10 of whom were drafted in the first round, five of whom went in the top five. A lot of interesting stories, Jim. My task was to rank these guys as they were rated coming up to the big leagues. Like when they arrived in the big leagues, how much of a, you know, exactly how much, uh, I guess what I like to call prospecty goodness did they have. And you know, one of the interesting things was, you know, the highest drafted player in the entire World Series is Luke Hochever with the uh, with the Royals. And he didn't even make the list because he'd kind of struggled in the minors. But I went 15 deep. Alex Gordon was the number one pick, and I thought that one was a fairly easy call to make. Or I shouldn't say number one pick, but number one on the list. Uh, you know, he was the you know Baseball America's College Player of the Year. Uh, one, you know, in 2005 when he was the number two overall pick, minor league player of the year the next year when he tore up double-A, and then he was straight to the big leagues. Uh, kind of interesting, uh, although he was kind of viewed about as can't miss as they get, it took him five years to really get his back going in the big leagues. And obviously uh, a huge uh, huge at-bat last night in the ninth inning uh, for the Royals to tie that game. Uh, you know, the top five on that list, I, I went Alex Gordon one. David Wright, too. David Wright was a supplemental first-round pick who just seemed to get better and better each year in the minors. Uh, yeah, I, and I want to say I saw him in the 2004 Futures game, and I think he was in the big leagues like maybe three weeks after that and, and never looked yep. back. Um, behind him, at Eric Hosmer, three. Mike Moustakis, four. Uh, Noah Syndergaard was the first player not with the team that originally signed him. He was obviously a, a Blue Jays supplemental first-round pick, part of the R.A. Dickey trade. He was number five. And, and just a couple other interesting things on there. Uh, Bartolo Colon was actually number six. It, it, it seems like a long time since he was a prospect. Uh, you know, he got to the big leagues uh, in, in 1997. Um, but I had him number six on the list, and it was interesting to note his signing bonus out of the Dominican Republic was $3,000. So he was a uh, not a big money signing uh, at $3,000. And then the other thing when I started to look into this, guys, you know, Matt Harvey, you know, for all the success he's had in the big leagues, was a good prospect, but not a great prospect. He was the number seven overall pick in the 2010 draft. Uh, the Mets also strongly considered Zach Cox and Justin O'Connor, who have had issues hitting in the minor leagues and have never played in the majors, so they made the right choice. But, 
you know, looking back, I had forgotten. I mean, I knew he was a, a prospect, but, you know, Matt Harvey had a 4.53 ERA in AA, 3.68 ERA in AAA, and it seemed like when he arrived in the big leagues in late 2012, he dominated from day one. But, uh, you know, that was interesting to me. I, I, I would have thought going into this I would have ranked him higher on the list, but he did not dominate in the minors to the same extent that he has in the big leagues. Yeah, he was he was definitely more of a, a thrower in the minors, and it's like the second he got to the big leagues, he was like, "All right, I'm supposed to mix my pitches better and and be a more complete pitcher," and, and he's certainly done that. And uh, I would have thought Bartolo Colon was you know a prospect like in the Nixon administration time, somewhere around there. So, <laughs> well, here's how old I am, Jonathan. Uh, I actually remember when I was a baseball America based in Durham, North Carolina, seeing him pitch in uh, in Kinston in the Carolina League. So I actually. Uh, I can remember seeing him pitch in, in high class A probably, I want to say that was 1995, uh, uh, which is obviously a, a very long time ago. Yeah, and he was like 34 then, so, you know, it's been impressive what he's been able to do. Yeah, and he did, this guy did not make the list, but just on the subject of guys who play prominent roles in game one, uh, Chris Young, I remember seeing Chris Young in the Cape Cod League. Uh, he was a two way, uh, two sports star. Uh, who had you know some basketball aspirations, NBA offers uh, when he was at Princeton, and I remember watching him pitch in the in the Cape League. The Pirates had drafted him, I want to say, in the third round, and he wound up holding out that summer, pitching very well in the Cape League and getting a seven-figure bonus. Although he did not make this list either, because he was another guy who kind of like Luke Hochever, even though he signed for big money at the time, kind of had an uneven performance in the minor leagues, was up and down, and, you know, his prospect star had dimmed a little bit, but geez, I mean, how about how about Chris Young's performance last night? I mean, not just, you know, pitching and getting the win, but I think he gave up, what, one walk and three innings and one ball hit out of the infield, and he was getting swings and misses. I mean, that, that was, you know, I mean, in as big a moment as Chris Young has ever had, and, you know, I don't think I've seen Chris Young pitch that well in a while. I mean, he, that, that yeah. game late seemed like he could have pitched like maybe six innings and the Mets just weren't going to score off. Really, really quick aside on, on Chris Young, and we can, we can move on to this. So it was kind of a cool thing. He, um, he flew Scott Bradley, you know, the former big leaguer Princeton coach, uh, out to Kansas City for the World Series. So Scott Bradley was, was there to see that performance last night, which I thought was pretty cool. One of the most amazing stories of a prospect turning into a bona fide major leaguer, Jim, is Jacob deGrom, a shortstop at Stetson, and now many have anointed him as the ace of the Mets staff, uh, surpassing Harvey. Yeah, and I actually, I think in the long run, I mean, you know, I think DeGrom has been more consistent and obviously, you know, hasn't been hurt and has had the injury issues. I think in the long run, Syndergaard will probably be the, the best pitcher in that rotation. But, you know, DeGrom was a guy who did not make the top 15 list. He was a, a ninth-round pick out of Stetson who, who got hurt very early in his pro career and had Tommy John surgery. And, and he's another guy, if you go back and look at what he did in the minors, you know, he was, you know, 2013, he had a 4.5 ERA in AAA, 4.8 ERA in AA. You know, at the beginning of 2014, he pitched very well at Las Vegas, kind of reminiscent of what Noah Syndergaard and Steven Matz did this year before they came up. But, you know, he was 26 at the time, too. And, you know, I don't think anybody saw his rookie of the year season coming. I mean, he was known as one of the more talented pitchers in the system. But he's another guy, kind of like Matt Harvey, who – dominated, you know, seems like from day one in the big leagues to an extent that he did not dominate 
in the minors. I, I just popped up his stats on the computer. He's pitched, you know, 323 innings in the minors with a 3.62 ERA. Pitched 331 innings in the majors, so almost exactly the same amount with a 2.61 ERA. His striking, he's been striking out two more batters per nine innings. I mean, he's been a he took it to another level at the big league level, just like Matt Harvey did. Yeah, he's 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 better in the majors than he was in the minors, like Wade Boggs. We could see a historic first in this World Series. If Raul Mondesi of the Royals appears in a game, he'll be the first player ever to make his Major League debut in the World Series. Jonathan, you wrote about why Kansas City made Mondesi eligible. Yeah, I mean, it certainly was a, an interesting thing, although as I wrote in the story, I, I guess nothing should surprise you coming from the team that introduced uh, Terrence Gore to the, the world uh, a year ago as a pinch runner extraordinaire in the postseason. And, uh, I guess it's a little ironic that uh, that it's Mondesi who replaced Gore on the World Series roster, uh, but you know I, I think the, there were a couple of reasons for it. Uh, this was a fun story to do. I, I talked to R Renee Francisco, who is assistant general manager for the Royals, heads up the international scouting. Uh, you know, was partially responsible for signing Mondesi in the in the first place. You know, uh, there are his physical tools, and he's a premium defender. Uh, one who you know is primarily a shortstop, but can also play second base. Uh, you know, you probably could throw him at third in an emergency. Although obviously you don't necessarily want to do that in a World Series game. But this is a guy who can really, really defend. He's got very good speed, uh, although he doesn't really know how to use it on the base paths consistently. So it's not like they're gonna they could have him pinch run and he could be effective. But uh, he's not going to be a an automatic move up 90 or 180 feet, even like like Gore was. Uh, but I think it gives them some more flexibility, especially in, in, in the National League Park games, uh, where you may want to double switch uh, things. You know, if you need them to play in the middle infield position, you're not going to lose anything defensively. Uh, more than anything, the thing that uh, people in the in the Royals front office talked about was just his his makeup. Uh, you know, he grew up around the game. He's got a really good head on his shoulders. When he was in big league camp in spring training. He, he acted like he belonged, and not in a overly cocky, I deserve to be here kind of way, just in a I don't seem out of place kind of way. Uh, and they just felt confident that the stage, uh, the setting, uh, wouldn't phase him uh, at all. Uh, you know, it, it is interesting. This isn't a guy who's put up good numbers offensively in the minors. He's got a tremendous amount of upside, but, you know, there's been an ongoing conversation Jim and I have had when, when we do rankings. It's like, well, at what point does a, a guy like that have to actually start performing? Uh, and, and, you know, we're getting close, except for the fact that uh, he just turned 20 and, you know, and was in double-A. So they've pushed him very aggressively because of his, his makeup and his ability to handle uh, that kind of thing, but they, they may need to slow it down a little bit, uh, World Series roster promotion notwithstanding, uh, just to let him kind of get his feet under him a little bit and, and let the performance catch up with potential. But uh, uh, it'll be interesting to see if he impacts the World Series at all, you know, even if it's just in a double switch to, uh, uh, to play defensively uh, up the middle at some point. You know, and Jonathan, I don't know how you feel about this, but I, I did not actually like this move. Uh, I, I mean, I think what you said about his makeup and the tools are spot on. I don't think he'll be phased by it. This is a guy who grew up around the game. He's got tremendous tools. Um, what you said, you know, as we've talked about, 
you know, he began this year as a 19-year-old in Double A, and I think you know it, this guy is as tooled up as just about any shortstop in the minors. But they've they've promoted him too aggressively. He had a, a 2.56 on-base percentage, not even a batting average, on-base percentage in high Class A the year before. Goes to Arizona Fall League, does not draw a walk in 17 games. I, I really thought they should have sent him back to high Class A this year, and so they promote him to Double A, and he and he hits you know 243 with a 279 on base percentage. So he continues to to show tools, but not production, because I think they're just pushing him so quick. And and I'll be honest, I, I cannot conceive of a situation where he gets into a World Series game. I, I think even though the, the Royals downplayed this. I think to avoid any heat being given to Ben Zobrist, who wouldn't deserve it. But Ben Zobrist's wife is expecting, so if Zobrist had to leave the team abruptly, this would give them some infield depth. But you know, in terms of double switches, they're not going to take Alcides Escobar out of a game, and they're not going to take Ben Zobrist out of a game. Yeah, so I, I can't see, you know, I can't imagine that Raul Mondesi is going to pinch hit in, in a game unless, you know, I mean, we had a 14 inning game last night, although, albeit with the DH, but I, I can't imagine he's going to pinch hit unless there's extreme circumstances. And to me, and I, I'm not a guy who loves pinch runners, but since Terrence Gore, as you said, is like an automatic, you know, unless you get replay on him and you see that his foot came off the bag for a split second after he gets there, you know, Terrence Gore's a guy who could come in and steal second and steal third. I just, it's, I think this is more of a move to protect him in case Zobrist had to leave the team abruptly. And they don't want to call attention to that. And, and, and anybody who gave Ben Zobrist would give Ben Zobrist a hard time for leaving to go see the birth of his kid, uh, you know, I, I think is ridiculous. But I think they're just trying to, to, to deflect attention from that. But I think it was just more of a protection move. I, I can't conceive how, unless Zobrist has to leave the team, that you there would be a situation where you'd want Raul Mondesi in the game. I, I just I don't understand it. The Arizona Fall League is in its third week of play, about halfway through the schedule. Guys, uh, let's talk about who's caught your eye first. Jim. Yeah, well, there's. I just got back from a week out in, in Arizona, and uh, I'll be not. I can list about uh, ten or twenty players, but uh, I'll start off with a, with a couple hitters who really caught my eye. I mean, one, I think the most impressive at bats I saw out there, uh, you know, in my week uh, of Arizona Fall League was Dominic Smith. Uh, you know, who we talked to, I think, before the before the AFL season began, was a podcast guest. I, I just really like his approach at the plate. He doesn't try to do too much. I mean. Yes, you know, you'd like to see him hit for more power, but I think the power will come. He just kind of you know, works the ball gap to gap, you know, very, uh, you know, balanced, uh, you know, steady approach. And I just saw him, I, I saw him back-to-back days. I think it was ten plate appearances. He had one bat at bat where he struck out on a pitch in the dirt and chased a little bit. And other than that, I think I saw him get on base seven or eight times. Just a lot of line drives, drew a walk. And then the guy who has been the, the hottest hitter, uh, uh, you know, Gary Sanchez with the Yankees. Five home runs in eight games. I saw him on Saturday in a 18-3 game at Peoria. Hit a ball, and they, they have a they have some trees out in, in center field at Peoria, and there's a there's a, a brick building uh, out there, kind of behind the trees. And he hit that building on a short hop. We didn't have uh, you know Statcast out at Peoria, but I bet that ball was at least 450 feet, and he is just crushing the ball right now. Hitting 457 with five homers and 15 RBIs in uh, in eight games, and then you know defensively I saw him make a couple nice throws behind the plate, and I actually even saw him. This is not a big part of his game, uh, steal a base. So I, I've seen Gary Sanchez do a little bit of everything out in Arizona. Well, yeah, but 
that's interesting because uh, it's funny. I, I saw Sanchez, and he did. His, his at-bats were very impressive. But I think we've all known about the offensive potential. He he caught Alex Reyes uh, the day that I saw him, and um, I thought there might be a record for uh, strikeouts two to three uh, just because he was having a hard time handling Reyes' breaking stuff, which is somewhat understandable. Um, you know, uh, but, uh, you know, the arm strength is there. It'll be interesting to see. I mean, you know, whether or not, if he can stick behind the plate, uh, with all of his sort of ups and downs his career has had, uh, he's still plenty young enough, uh, and, and there's certainly time, especially since the Yankees have Brian McCann signed for the next 27 years, uh, to, to let him develop as, as he needs to. Um, yeah, Dominic Smith, I just want to add on to that. Uh, I just uh, the first game, uh, I saw him obviously coming off a, a real bounce back year, kind of put himself back on the prospect map this year with the year he had in the Florida State League. Uh, but I think this kind of synopsizes what he is about right now as a hitter. Um, the two at-bats in one game, uh, served the ball down the left field line for a double, and then later in the same game, pulled his hands in, turned on an inside pitch, and ripped a double down the right field line. Um, and it seemed like, you know, he was making uh, contact, you know, pretty much whenever he, he wanted to. And someone was telling me that they felt that, if he, you know, if he just went the opposite way all the time, he could. it's almost like he could serve a, a base hit to left field anytime he wanted to. And uh, I agree. I think the power will come. Uh, he showed glimpses of it during the, the, uh, the Bowman hitting challenge where he turned on a couple of pitches and hit them out. Um, so I, you know, I, I think it'll come. I don't. It's never going to be a huge power guy, but um, I guess Mike Gerber is kind of a good under the radar offensive guy, a Tigers uh, prospect who had uh, a very good year in the Midwest League. College guy is a little perplexing why he didn't get a promotion, um, you know, to push him. But uh, his performance in the Fall League, uh, you know, he and Jacoby Jones. They, Say an FOP friend of the podcast. Um, both made a lot of loud contact, and Gerber has some tools. Uh, he's kind of an interesting guy to to keep an eye on, especially if he can use the folly to kind of catapult him onto a, a bit of a faster track in 2016. Yeah, Gerber. Gerber is one of my favorite sleepers out there too, Jonathan. I saw him with a four hit day, including a, a grand slam. Although that day was also the, the first day back for Jerickson Profar, who, who tied the game with a ninth-inning homer. Um, and Jerickson Profar, who, who's only DHing, you know, he's barely played the last two years with the shoulder injury, but he's gotten in four games, and, and I've, I think I saw three of those four games. These seven for 17, and the bat looks like you know, the Jerickson Profar of old. I mean, he's got five extra base hits in those four games and just a lot of, of loud contact. I mean, he is making it look easy. I I'm, just called his stats up. He's only struck out once in 20 plate appearances, and he's looked tremendous. You know, obviously the, the defense will be a big part of it. There's no plans to have him throw during the fall league. But at least offensively, he doesn't look like he's missed a beat. He, he's looked very, very good. Very quickly, uh, which pitchers have caught your eye, Jonathan? Well, you know, I, I haven't seen him, but I think we have to at least sort of uh, tip the cap to, to what Brooks Pounders uh, has done. Um, he's thrown 12 shutout innings so far. He's only allowed five hits. Um, struck out 14 in those 12 innings, zero walks. And, 
talk about an under the radar guy. This guy had Tommy Johnson. He's just making his way back. He's, uh, you know, 25 now. Uh, so he's kind of been forgotten uh, at least a, a little bit. You know, was originally drafted by uh, by the Pirates back in 2009. Um, he was involved in the minor trade in December 2011 uh, to go to Kansas City, and then you know got hurt. Uh, so he hasn't flown a, a lot, but he did pitch well in Double A at the end of the year. He doesn't miss bats. Uh, you know, he, what's been working for him is he's thrown four pitches for strikes, and he's mixing pitches really well. And uh, sometimes he pitches backwards. And I think maybe, especially when it's in contrast to a lot of the power arms that are in Arizona, it's been really, really effective. Jim, what about the pitchers with you? Yeah, you know, the two best starting pitchers I saw up there, one, no surprise. I mean, Alex Reyes, who Jonathan talked about earlier, you know, I think is far and away the best pitching prospect out there. And the day I saw him, he, he hit 100 miles an hour repeatedly during four innings, was, uh, you know, up to 98 in his fourth inning of work. You know, needs to command the secondary pitches a little bit better, but there was some depth to the, chur- uh, the, depth to the curve. He had a, a changeup that had some drop at the plate. And then Nick Travieso, uh, former first-round pick of the Reds, he looked good. I saw him 94-96 in his outing. Uh, I think I saw him, I want to say, last Wednesday. He also had an 85-90 miles an hour uh, cutter that uh, the, the team he was facing was having a lot of trouble handling. Relief-wise, uh, Nick Birdie, the, I, I saw him uh, Monday in the uh, MLB.com broadcast. Uh, I, I, that broadcast, broadcast. It's a combination of podcast and broadcast. I was going to say, and the MLB.com <laughs> broadcast we did online. Uh, Nick Birdie came in and threw 100 miles an hour in the ninth inning and had a very hard slider as well. He was impressive. Uh, just radar gun reading wise, I saw Mauricio Cabrera uh, of the Braves hit 102. Although he got hit as well, um, and that's kind of been his story in the minor leagues. And I saw Ray Black, I think, got up to 103, uh, which is old hat for him. Um, so a lot of, uh, as Jonathan said, a lot of power arms lighting up the radar guns out there. Boy, those numbers are just breathtaking. It's just amazing uh, the talent that these guys have. Uh, uh, Jonathan and Jim, thanks so much. That'll do it for us. On behalf of Jonathan Mayo and Jim Callis, I'm Ed Randall. Thanks for listening to the MLB.com Pipeline Podcast. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. 
Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. 